about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. My name is Sam and I'll be reading a psalm. Uh, This is Psalm 119 and it can be found on page 608 of your pew Bible. May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Second Bible reading comes from Galatians 5, 1 to 15, and it's on page 1,154 of your pew Bibles. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, If I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Good evening. Welcome. Am I on? Testing. Check. One, two. Yes? Thumbs up. Welcome to church. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And like Matt said, if you are new here, great to have you here. And I'm hoping that as we launch back into Galatians, um, that you don't need to have kind of travel that journey with us and you can tap right into this. I think tonight is a great way to explore the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. That's my hope for us tonight. 
the first verse, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And this captures our attention, does it not? It captures our attention, or at least mine, not just because of the weird kind of grammatical circular reference to freedom, but also because freedom, the very idea of freedom, uh, kind of ignites our imagination. For do we not desire in our heart of hearts freedom to be free? We often know what it's like to not be free. And accordingly, we, we want to be free. Like I'm thinking of when I got my P plates and crashed the car a bit after that, or kind of, you know, just a whole range of kind of ways that we express our freedom. But the problem with freedom, perhaps, as a concept that we know is good, is it's very difficult to kind of nail down. It kind of frees itself from our grasp. See what I did there? Um, as we read the first, well, as Sam read the first passage from Psalm 119, the psalmist says, I obey your law and walk in freedom. He obeys and finds freedom. What is that about? Or perhaps kind of our way into sort of un unpacking freedom is to kind of something through this, like, very sounds very familiar, is freedom anything else than the right to live as we wish? Nothing else. Anyone know what kind of part of human history this comes from? Like it's kind of super recent, sounds super recent. First century, would you believe it? Epictetus, the Greek Stoic philosopher. This idea of just being free to do what we wish is just part of being a human, I think. Is that what Jesus is talking about when he says, I've set you free? Or maybe if we just kind of wrestled a little bit more, get a bit more technical, went to Franklin Roosevelt, State of the Union Address, 1941, he speaks of four types of freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, freedom from fear. Of course, this predated the UN Declaration of Human Rights which kind of draws on some of this stuff. Is this what we are set free for? Freedom to worship. Interesting that sort of 80 years on, I wonder if freedom of worship would be so prominent. And that sort of taps into maybe the complexity of modern freedom because my freedom interferes with your freedom and it kind of gets a little messy. What is this freedom that Jesus died for that we might gain? What is this freedom that Paul is jumping up, up and down our way into this passage tonight is going to hang kind of things on two hooks. One, what we are freed from. So this is the first kind of six verses of Galatians 5. And do keep your Bible open. Kind of, you know, check what I'm saying. Uh, sort of savor the words. Freedom from is kind of the first six verses. And then freedom for is the second hook as we get to the last few verses of this passage. And in between, Paul has a bit of a rant and we'll get to that in due course. But let, let's begin. Let's kind of unpack this freedom that ignites our imagination, but we're curious as to what kind of freedom Paul is talking about, what Jesus has won for us. So let's unpack this freedom from our first hook. Well, it kind of it goes without saying that freedom, verse 1, uh, is not like slavery. It's opposite to that. And then he goes on to talk about circumcision, which is kind of a weird thing to kind of, I don't know, get excited about. Now, this is the freedom that Christ has won for you. Circumcision is a topic we're going to talk about. What is that about? Well, in this context of Galatia, they were wrestling with kind of what do we make of the law? And circumcision was an important part of kind of the rituals and the laws of the Old Testament. And some people were saying, okay, so you're saved by Jesus, that's nice, good on you, but you've also got to do this law stuff. I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, you can't just be saved by believing. You've got to do some stuff to earn it. And so people are kind of like, well, that, that makes sense. I guess to be approved by God, 
to be approved by others, to approve myself in this whole process, maybe I should get circumcised and do some of those laws and rituals. That makes perfect sense. Perhaps. But Paul says, every man who lets himself be circumcised is obligated to obey the whole law. Verse 4, continuing, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and have fallen away from grace. Paul is highlighting as starkly as he can the two ways we go about saving ourselves. You are either saved by grace, that is a gift from Christ himself. And if you receive that gift, that he died for you and his blood shed for you, cleanses you and renews you, and that in that receiving of gift, you are approved by God in that moment. You are righteous. You are declared righteous. That is option one. If you trust that Jesus died for you. Or you go through the kind of self-approving process by obeying the law and doing the things, ticking stuff off. And they are the two options. And Paul's saying, if you choose this option, if you go down the path of circumcision or obeying the law, you are cutting yourself off from Jesus. Laws are kind of, I don't know, they make sense to us. I find all kinds of creative ways of making laws for myself and kind of ticking myself off. I mean, let's say the Ten Commandments. That's a pretty kind of well-known list of rules. They're good, like do not murder. I want to wake up in the morning knowing that I've got some confidence in not being murdered in the day, right? So that's a good thing. But I can so easily tick that off, like I didn't murder anyone today. How good is that? I approve myself. Um, you guys approve me. Thanks for laughing a little bit there. And God approves me, surely, right? I get to commandment 10, gets a bit harder because, you know, God says, like, do not covet, do not want what others want. I have, that's, that's tricky to do. And then I get to Jesus, and he's like, okay, you've heard it said, do not murder. I say to you, if you are angry at a brother or sister, you will stand under judgment. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, so I've been angry a couple of times today. And herein lies part of the problem of the law. We really want the simplicity of kind of checking off some stuff so that, I can approve myself, you can approve me, God might approve me. But in the end, there's a heart problem. And the law's got nothing to say other than yes or no, and mostly it's no. In fact, if you disobey one part of the law, Paul says you've disobeyed the whole thing, you're a lawbreaker. There is no power in the law, just a statement, you are condemned. And that's the problem with any self-approval process that we kind of generate for ourselves. Any list of rules that we can check through and get others to check through and we can hold up to God and say, look at this. As a pastor, I meet people um, who don't go to church and often when that happens, they're kind of very quick to sort of like, well, I don't go to church, but I'm a good person. Well, thanks for telling me that. <laughs> we like to assert ourselves as being good because we've done a bunch of things. Paul says that system will only return no unless you are perfect. And that's why Christ died. That you might, in the very moment of trusting in his sacrifice for you, you say, actually, it's not what I've done. In fact, it's because of what I've done that you went through that, Jesus. It's because of what you've done that I trust you. And in that moment, you are declared righteous. You are approved by God. That is the gift. That is the good news of Jesus. No matter what your story is, no matter who you are, what you've done, if you trust in Jesus, God looks at you as approved, as righteous. 
And that stands in stark opposition to any other system of approving yourself, others, and trying to find God's approval. You see why Paul's getting upset about this? He wants them to come back to the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. And instead of appreciating that, they're kind of building on their own little kind of like, look at me go. Pastorally, this has huge implications for us. See, for anyone feeling the weight of God's judgment, because you feel like you've done something naughty, I want you to know that Christ has set you free. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Sure, there might be, in, um, as, as Paul will expand in 2 Corinthians, there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. But that's in the freedom of being set free from condemnation. That's in relationship, where you're wrestling with something you've done to displease God. But friends, if you are feeling that, that crushing guilt, that weight of condemnation, I want you to know that Christ has set you free from your desire to get approved from your failure to do all that God would ask you to do. For anyone who's come to church carrying the shame of not being good enough, I want you to know that Christ has set you free. I met with someone this week who was wrestling with not feeling like they were good enough, like they would come to church and they know that in their life there's a whole bunch of stuff that's not working out. And they would come to church and there'd be a bunch of Sunday faces and everyone looks like they've got their stuff together. They're good Christians. And because of that's the way they saw church, they felt like they were not good enough. If that's you, Christ has set you free from that shame. For anyone who's struggling to be a good Christian, whatever the heck that means, Christ has set you free. For anyone who has Jay in the Myers-Briggs profile, maybe me, and kind of has that critical inner voice judging, Christ has set you free from that voice that would accuse you. Because you are loved, because you are a child of God, you are gifted righteousness, that God would set his approval upon you because of what he's done, not because of what you've done. And now you are filled with the Spirit. Now you're on a journey, but it all starts with being approved by God because of what Jesus has done, and that is in stark contrast to every method of approving yourself through systems of laws and rules and rituals. Just a bit of a sidebar here. Is there not another way to find freedom from the law? Like a much simpler way, like kind of like just screw the law. (laughs) Like in 2019... We've kind of left behind that objective truth, that kind of weighty morality stuff, and just kind of gone with our own adventure style. Isn't that a simpler way to find freedom from the tyranny of law, that struggle of, to gain approval? Follow you in a star. Well, I was reading a book, actually an article that took me back to a book, um, by a philosopher called Charles Taylor. And he's kind of, he's a well-respected philosopher, a Catholic guy up in Canada, and he wrote a book called A Secular Age, and in that he kind, of, he kind of surveyed the history of how we've looked at ourselves. Once upon a time, we kind of lived in a big cosmos, and kind of, we were a poorer self, he describes ourselves as. And in that, it kind of means that when something goes wrong, you kind of, you're looking to understand how you fit in the larger system. You are porous to kind of input from the gods, from your community. We've left that 
long behind. And he kind of surveys all the ways that we've gone uh, about that and instead become this new bounded self. He says this, as a bounded self, things beyond don't need to get to me. This self can see itself as invulnerable, as master of the meanings of things for it. We are now the interpreters of our own destiny, according to Charles Taylor in this modern sense of freedom. But are things as good as kind of the, you know, let your light shine kind of version of freedom? Is, is that the best way to go about finding freedom from the tyranny of the law? Well, there's two outcomes from this new bounded self. One is the rise of the modern control freak, as one article put it. That is that we define our destiny to discover kind of the superstar within us. But because we're this bounded self, we're invulnerable to everything around us. We've got to keep pushing up the boundaries, the threats that kind of would, would kind of weigh in on our destiny. We're no longer vulnerable to others because it's all about us. And we've got to control everything. Every decision we make is kind of a stressful one as we kind of carve out the path before us. There is actually a sort of slavery at work in that self-defined freedom. And it's a weighty one at that. This author here who I've quoted before picks up on kind of this idea of the paradox of modern freedom. It's not as simple as people would like to believe. He says more money, for instance, means more anxiety about our wealth. So there goes our freedom a little bit. More personal freedom imparts more insecurity in our relationships. And longer lifespans still do not afford enough time to achieve all the goals we set for ourselves. FOMO is a real thing. The specter of personal failure haunts us at every turn. This is modern freedom. It's not as simple or as beautiful as it's cracked up to be. And in it is its own systems of approval of failure. And friends, we need to be saved from ourselves here. From these own systems of approval we generate. From the weighty and anxious state of kind of carving out our own destiny. We need a deeper freedom. And Paul's saying... Whether you're in kind of the religious world, crafting rules of religiosity so you can find approval from God, others, and yourself, or whether you're trying to define your own freedom and your own destiny, and in so creating your own systems of failure and approval, both people need to be saved, to be freed from that tyranny, from that struggle to find approval. And Paul says it's a gift. It's Jesus Christ. He lived for you, he died for you, and he's been raised to new life for you. Do you want that? Do you want to know that you are approved by God, righteous in his sights, loved by him, forgiven by him, given new life by him? Do you want that? Or do you want the self-made freedom with its apparent freedom, with its illusion of freedom, but with its own systems of slavery and struggle. And as we look from the kind of freedom from that tyranny, from those systems of approval, towards the freedom to, what we're freed to, we can kind of track out the trajectory of both of these freedoms, the secular version and this gospel freedom. For the person living out their self-defined freedom, as we've already said, we've got to struggle through 
pulling all those levers to make sure we get the right thing to fulfill our destiny, become the superstar we want to be. Or we can go verse 5. Read with me. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Friends, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous. You are approved by God as I've been laboring. And from that point onwards, we wait in a spiritual waiting to become that righteousness. Friends, we know that as we are forgiven, as we believe in Christ and we're given new life, we know that is an amazing and beautiful and profound gift. And yet we also know that we're not perfect and we struggle and we fall and we stumble and we're sinful. And so we go on this journey towards becoming that righteousness, to being perfected, to loving truly, to being glorious like Jesus himself. And this life in the middle that we now live between being declared righteous and becoming righteous is characterized by the Spirit as we await in him, as we are transformed by him. And one of the key characteristics of this season, this trajectory we're now on, is love. For Paul says, what matters most is faith expressing itself through love. Faith in Jesus Christ. Expressing itself in the same love that has saved you. And that is what we are freed to. Paul kind of cuts off at that point, expanding much further, as he kind of gets a bit feisty again. I mean, Galatians is a bit of a feisty letter. He's upset. He's really upset that kind of people have left behind the simplicity of the gospel to add on their own systems of self-approval. In that kind of next bit from verse 7 onwards, he says, who's cut in on you? Who's, who's cut in on you that you might take away that gift and that you might start adding law upon law, circumcision or whatever it is, self-defined freedom, and I guess the confusion might lie in just the, the kind of the crazy simplicity of grace. That no matter what you've done or who you are, if you trust in Jesus, you have eternal life. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous almost, right? And that kind of, it would be easy and fertile ground perhaps for these teachers to come in and say, okay, well, sure, go with Jesus, but you also got to do these other things. That makes more sense, right? In church, we are really good at creating all this kind of subculture of rules on what you're supposed to be and kind of what a Christian should look like. And sometimes it doesn't go so well and takes us away from the simplicity of grace. Maybe today our struggle is this very idea of freedom. Sure, you've got, to, got your gospel freedom, that sounds nice, but I'd much rather just go with the freedom of do it myself, thanks. Until perhaps that doesn't work out for you and you realize that there needs to be something deeper something more glorious, something more beautiful. And that's why Paul's upset. Would you come back to Christ? Would you come back to that simplicity? But he doesn't just labor kind of the case for the gospel. He doesn't just lay it out again. He actually speaks of his own experience about how he has been persecuted. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted, he says in verse 11. And he says that because if I give you what you want to hear, you'll approve me and it'll all go well. But he says that I want your approval. I have God's approval because I've been saved by grace. And just as Matt pointed last week to kind of how we should read the Bible, I love that point where 
If we're reading the Bible and it only has great things to say of us, friends, you're just reading a projection of yourself. If you're reading the very words of God, would you not expect, as you face perfection himself, and as he works in you, that that's going to rub up against you, and it's going to hurt at times? And in this season of going from being declared righteous to becoming righteous, there's going to be struggles with our sinfulness, our failures, but all of that should take us back to the persecuted Christ, the crucified Christ. Because in the end, his way was vindicated in the resurrection. And that's why Paul stands on this. I don't want your approval, he says. I don't care if you persecute me. I know you will because I'm not telling you what you want. But I stand with Christ. So we've heard so far that we are freed from the tyranny of the law, of approval structures. We are freed from condemnation. And the freedom that Paul's calling us to, that Christ has won for us, is not the same as the freedom the world pursues. And then Paul goes on to talk about what we are freed for. Free from, free for. We are freed for love. Let's pick it up in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. See, faith in Christ Jesus propels us outward. It's not a possessive thing, but rather a propelling thing, an expansive thing. As the very love of Christ, who was, as he served us, as he lifted us up, goes on to flow through us to serve others. Uh, Paul, uh, Timothy Keller writes this book to expand this logic, and it's titled The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, so it's really right on topic. He writes this, Do you realize that it is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get the verdict before the performance? That is, you are declared righteous, you are approved. Without Christ, every day you are in the courtroom, every day you are on trial, that is the problem. But Paul is saying that in Christianity... The verdict leads to performance. That is, you are approved by God, declared righteous in Him, and therefore you love. He continues, I do not have to do things to make me look good. I can do things for the joy of doing them. I can help people to help people. Not so I can feel better about myself, not so I can fill up the emptiness. Friends, in, in systems of approval, as good as those rules might be, do you not end up doing those good things like, you know, do not kill your neighbor. That's a good thing you didn't do that. Thank you. But do we, do, no, do we not do those things because ultimately it's about us being approved, looking good? Keller here is saying, actually, this is the kind of good news of the gospel. It liberates us to do good things, not because we have to, but because we want to. We've been transformed from the inside out. We've been touched by grace. Now, Paul's not saying here that all that matters is love. Rather, he says, because that would be very modern and very on point, he's saying that what matters is faith expressing itself through love. Nor is he saying that Christians own love, as though only Christians can love. I've been reminded a few times this week by some friends who are not yet believers of kind of just the beauty of love expressed outside of faith, outside the church. And that's very true. 
There are beautiful examples of humble, sacrificial, other-centered love that don't come from Christ. I do wonder, and some authors have made this case, whether that's still a result of Christ's impact in the world. For instance, the first Christians to follow this way of life, this cruciform-shaped freedom, they did it in a culture where humility, compassion, care for others was kind of looked down upon as a vice. Why would you do that? Why would you trouble yourself in a culture of honor and power? But over time, Christianity has had its impact on the Western world particularly, so that now humility and compassion and loving like this is seen as a virtue. But Paul's saying that as we live out this kind of love, as we are freed to love, there are two things that shape that. Firstly, do not indulge the flesh. Do not live out your freedom just for your own sake. You've been gifted this freedom, therefore live it, not for your sake, but for God's. Love God. And that's why the psalmist is able to write in Psalm 119, I obey your laws, I seek your will for my life, and I find true freedom. I walk in freedom. And secondly, the other shape, the limiting factor here on this way that we're freed to love is that we serve one another humbly. We are talking about limiting our freedom here. Not a popular, popular topic of conversation in the modern world, but Paul is saying, limit your freedom so that you might not indulge your flesh, but live for yourself, and that you might serve others. That sounds like quite a paradox, a different kind of paradox to freedom, that we might limit our freedom for the sake of serving. Martin Luther captures that paradox well when he writes on a Christian liberty, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. That's the first bit, free from. Then secondly, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject of all, subject to all. We are free And yet, in our freedom, we use that to serve. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine a community of people where everybody uses their freedom to lift others up? Could you imagine what that would look like for everybody to lift one another up and to serve one another? Would that not be glorious? Is that not a version that we could all agree to being a beautiful picture of human flourishing? And that's what's on offer in Christ. That you would use your freedom for others. But in this this kind of life where there's nothing's perfect and we're broken, do we not also feel the weight of that, the costliness of this? I've got three kids and a dog. My freedom is getting limited by the moment. I was chatting with a guy who I met um, just last weekend at a kind of going back to school parents party because it's all about us celebrating kids being anyway. And this guy went to movies in the graveyard and I hadn't gone and we were just talking about He just sort of raised that as kind of like a cool thing that he went to. And I was like, actually, I work at the church that put that on. And he's like, no way. You're a Christian in 2019? He was just fascinated by this idea that I would be a follower of Jesus. And as we talked about all kinds of things, including grace, and I love the conversation got to grace, he raised this really tricky conundrum of what it means to kind of serve those in need around us. He talked about how he walked past on his way to work, these homeless people, and 
And he gave to them. He saw their need and he saw that he had stuff to give and he wanted to help them. And the more he did that, the more there was this joy, but the more kind of, the more he felt tired to, to give, the need to give. And it became this kind of heavy burden. Like if he didn't do it, he felt really guilty. And if he did do it, he kind of felt roped into kind of all the drama that was going on. And in the end, he just said to me, and appreciate his rawness, he just goes, I've just stopped doing it. I just have to walk through with blinkers on now because I just can't, I can't keep doing it. In that moment, here's, there's a picture of the costliness of grace. If we're going to limit our freedom for the sake of others, that is enormously costly. What is going to resource us for that? To keep driving us out? Is it not Christ himself? Who, who, who gave up his glorious freedoms in heaven to humble himself to death on a cross to serve you to love you in your unlovable state that while we were enemies he poured himself out for us and every time we're in those crosshairs of kind of like should i serve that person as though it will, you know, i know it will come at great cost to me every time we kind of weigh in that predicament does it not drive us back to christ I don't know what the answer is every time. That's the trickiness of grace and living it out. But does it not drive us back to Christ and what he has done for us? And as that happens, are we not propelled outward to use our freedom to serve? Not for the sinful nature, but for others. Friends, we're talking about a freedom beyond be who you are. We're talking about a freedom that is profound, that is glorious, And that is steadfast in Christ Jesus. And we are free to discover this. Free from the tyranny of condemnation. Of the constant search for approval. For that is on offer in Christ. And for those that have received it. Would you go out into this needy world. And to be Christ to people. It's tricky. We're going to stumble we're going to fall and we're going to fail as a community as we try and model this to each other. But should we not also be the first to humbly repent and to keep lifting each other up that Christ might be glorious in this place and this part of the world. Free from condemnation, free to serve others and forever free for the glory of God. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.